So each one of our readings this morning is essentially about the same thing, it's something that we understand as being at the core of what the Christian faith and experience reveals to us, and that is resurrection. From the prophet Ezekiel speaking of his mystic experience of being led by the Spirit of God to a valley of dry bones, symbolizing the people Israel in the ruin which they found themselves in, in their captivity and in the destruction of Jerusalem, and being asked by God, can these bones live? And seeing ultimately that, yes, they can, if God wills it, and indeed, God does will it. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if you have the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead in you, he will raise you too. The line is that your mortal bodies may have life also through his indwelling spirit. You may have heard this at some point. We use it in our burial rites. And then in the gospel, as we do each year around this time, we hear the story of Lazarus, his death, and his raising back to life by Jesus. And these are all in some way about resurrection, raising things which were dead to new life, raising a whole community, a people, a political situation, raising from ways of death in living to ways that lead to life and flourishing, metaphoric raising, and literally, literally in this case, raising a person who was dead to life. Recently, we were reflecting on the idea of resurrection a bit in Seekers and Returners, the course that's preparing a number of people for baptism and confirmation and reception into the Episcopal Church this year. And we were talking about how um, to profess faith in the resurrection is certainly not to necessarily understand it, neither in scientific terms, as we might say in the modern sense, nor even in metaphysical or theoretical terms, something like that. And that if we're moved to faith in the resurrection by an encounter with the living Christ in our lives, it's probably not because we can cognitively assent to exactly the idea of it, as if it's like, oh, right, yes, he's, he was dead and then he was alive, and that makes perfect sense to me. It's something that even the people who were there in person, witnessing it firsthand, we hear this in the biblical witness, they did not understand either. Soon, of course, in the Easter story, we will hear about the first followers of Jesus encountering the empty tomb and being scattered, confused, afraid, meeting the risen Christ himself and not even recognizing him, thinking that he's the gardener or someone else. They're utterly confounded by whatever it is that they see. Traveling on the road to Emmaus, even sitting down to eat with Jesus, for so long, the disciples don't even recognize this person that they've spent so much time with. And then the moment he, they do, he disappears. This resurrection thing apparently is so different, it's so unnatural, so an aberration, that our access to it cannot really be by conventional means of understanding. But here is this fundamental truth and longing seen throughout all of our tradition, longing for God to intervene in death, for death not to have the final say. Whether this is for a whole people, a whole nation, or simply for a lost loved one, 
of ours, whom we hope to see again. The whole biblical witness shows us ourself when we read it, we see ourselves in our longing for there to be something more. In the text from John, we are told that Lazarus is ill and has been for some time. Mary and Martha, whose names we probably already know, are on the scene as well. Lazarus is their brother. And this is a community of people who clearly know and love each other, family and friends who are deeply invested in one another. And the way the story unfolds basically implies that though he's heard that Lazarus is gravely ill, Jesus is not in too much of a hurry to get to where he is for a number of different reasons. And so on both sides of this group, this community, um, those who are with Jesus and those who are with Lazarus as he is ill to the point of death are very, very anxious. They know they have seen what Jesus can do if he wills to. Jesus can do such great signs and wonders as we have seen all through this account from John. And they know that if anyone can help Lazarus in his condition, it's Jesus. And yet to their astonishment and dismay and confusion, he does not make it in time. Lazarus does indeed die and is entombed for four days. And when word reaches the disciples that he has died, Thomas even says, let us go to where he is that we may also die. They are in terrible, all-consuming grief at this loss. As are Martha and Mary, of course, when Jesus arrives, they both say to him, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And just sit with that phrase for a moment, Lord, Lord, if you had been here. They accuse him in their grief. They say, where were you? This was your responsibility and you've let us down. And maybe we've all felt some version of that at some point when it comes to God. The text says that Jesus, upon seeing all of this, was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. So much of the way that the Gospel of John presents Jesus is in this way that almost seems aloof and detached. It's a way in terms of a literary device that the writer of John uses to show who Jesus really is in his power, in his glory, the fullness of who he is, this revelation of God in him. So he knows who he is throughout John and what he is doing all throughout. He's very, very self-aware. And in John, he's consistently performing these great signs of power and again and again saying the purpose of this, the reason I'm doing all of this is that you may believe. He's self-narrating about it. And indeed, also not only that you may believe, but that the religious authorities of the day may be confounded. This divinity is on full display in John. But here, in this moment, with his friends, with his loved ones, even in John, we don't lose his humanity. Jesus, in the midst of all these people he knows and loves, some of whom he must have been related to, has spent hours and hours of his life for months and years, this community has chosen family. As he's among them and surrounded by their overwhelming grief that they are feeling, he can't not feel it too. And though he seems to know again exactly what he plans to do in this story, he still weeps for Lazarus along with the others. And how could he not? He is their Lord. 
he is also their dearest friend. How could he not be? How could he be with people like that and stay completely impervious to their pain and loss? Of course, we know how the story ends. It's sort of a happy ending, and Lazarus does indeed live again. But again, like the story of Jesus' resurrection, it's not exactly like he walks out of the tomb and there's this great rainbow overhead and everyone is just happy and we're just back to normal. Lazarus is raised and we can tell that it's a bit unnerving, probably not at all least for Lazarus himself, given what he has just gone through. And the whole experience will change all of their lives, how they relate to one another, what this community dynamic is like, what they think of Jesus. And while I'm sure there's joy, the joy of a return of health to this loved one whom they thought was gone for good, there's also this uncanny, unsettling reality of Jesus' demonstration of his power and God's ultimate authority over this thing which is supposed to be final, death itself. This is something we contend with each year as we walk the way of Holy Week into Easter, which begins one week from today with Palm Sunday. And we too in this community will once again, or maybe for some of us for the first time, walk this same spiritual path together of contending with exactly this great mystery, that of encountering death and resurrection, both of them in their fullness, in the fullness of what they mean for us in Christ. And that includes the confounding, questioning parts, the unnatural, unnerving parts, the joyful, ecstatic, wonderful parts. The whole great mystery of the Christian faith contained in this holiest time of year when we gather to recount these stories and walk these same paths again. We will celebrate this as Christian communities around the world will celebrate with us in this holiest time of year. You are invited to join us for all of it, to come and celebrate these ancient and beautiful and profound liturgies which tell this story as we tell our own story to one another once again, and to make space to encounter something new for yourself in this mystery of resurrection, in this mystery that is new life out of death promised to us in Christ and what it means for you here today. Amen.